The rest of us are continuing a study in the Gospel of Luke as we get ready for Christmas, and then we're going to do the whole book of Luke after that. But we are moving toward Christmas, focusing on the birth of Jesus. Have you ever tried to keep God out, to keep God out of your life? Have you ever tried to keep him from interfering with your plans? Have you ever ignored God? Uh, Peter Larson writes this. He said, despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. Two impossibilities and God invaded our world. God intruded into Zechariah's life in Luke chapter 1 when Zechariah served at the temple. Remember, um, Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests of his day. And it was his division's turn to serve at the temple. And they chose by lots one person to um, serve incense at the holy place in the temple for a week of the year. And you could only do this once in your lifetime. And after that, you were no longer qualified for this particular role. There, God spoke to Zechariah through a special messenger named Gabriel, and told him he would have a son and that he should be named John. This child would have an important role in preparing the way of the Lord. Then God invaded Elizabeth's life after 35 years of marriage and having no children, which was one of her greatest hopes. And she became pregnant. I could have been a little just uncomfortable, by the way, after all these years. Then God invaded a young woman's life named Mary. And he also sent God's messenger, Gabriel, and told Mary she would conceive and give birth to a son and that she should name him Jesus, that he would be great, that he would be a descendant of David, and he would also be the son of the Most High God. Mary wondered how this could be. Good question, Mary. Since she was a virgin and she had never been with a man or had sexual relations. Gabriel said, nothing is impossible with God, Mary. Gabriel said the Holy Spirit would miraculously bring about this conception for Mary When God invaded Mary's life, how did she respond? You remember? She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary offered her body to God as a living sacrifice. She gave, offered everything, made herself available totally to God. God wants to invade your life too. God wants to be in your life, not to scare you. 
to help you? To engage you in doing what he is doing in our world? He wants to be in your life so that you can be a part of his plan. So this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. I hope you'll open uh, scriptures if you have a smartphone. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. Uh, we always have Bibles on the table. I want to encourage you to grab one if you need one when you come in. And we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter th- uh, 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed What the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This is the meeting of the moms in verses 39 through 45. The meeting of the moms. And two very important women who are to be mothers are going to get together. The visit, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. At what time? Well, we know from verse 26 that Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. After Gabriel spoke to Mary and announced the birth of her son, Mary wasted no time to go to meet Elizabeth, who is now six months pregnant. Remember that Mary was in Nazareth. And of course, we should have a map. That would be great. Mary was in Nazareth, and she went south toward Jerusalem to the hill country around Jerusalem. This was at least a three-day journey, and it was somewhere between 80 and 100 miles, depending on the route she took, you know, like there weren't any highways. And uh, this is a significant undertaking. So what is it that these women have in common? Why why would Mary go to see Elizabeth? I mean, how long has it been since they've connected in the past? Well, we don't know. Mary has just received a message from God about a role she's going to play in the kingdom of God. And it seems like the kingdom of God is at hand, by the way. And she has heard that Elizabeth is going to play a significant role and become a mother. They have something in common. Elizabeth is the older woman. Mary is the young woman. Probably a teenager with not a lot of experience in life. The welcome, verse 41 through 45. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what's going on here? Well, we know for sure that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now just think about this for a minute. This is the Old Testament period. Now what you say, wait a minute, Jerry, that Luke is in the New Testament. True. 
But the people of God are operating under the Old Testament system, the Old Testament sacrificial system. They are under the law. Why? Jesus hasn't died yet. The church doesn't start until Acts 2. That's going to be like 33, 34 years later. They're still under the law. So when the Holy Spirit comes on somebody like this, it's, it's for a special reason, for a special occasion, for a certain role. Very specific. Like, he would, like the Holy Spirit would come upon a prophet of Israel. And the Holy Spirit has come upon Elizabeth. And what she is now going to say is going to be inspired by God. Her words are motivated by God. They are a response to what God is doing in her heart. Verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Who told Elizabeth Mary was going to have a child? I don't think anyone has yet, except because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Elizabeth senses from God what is happening. She knows, so it's a prophecy for her. She knows who this child is. Verse 43, she says, Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth speaks in humility. You know, when you, when you start thinking about two moms who are pregnant and they get together and they may be a little hormonal, I don't know, they've never been pregnant. And they have special children. Aren't all children special? One of those children is the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary's this young teenager. Elizabeth is this wise, older, godly woman. And she, in humility, recognizes who this child will be. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is a child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, the mother of my Lord, Elizabeth is placing herself under the lordship of this baby, not yet born. And um, by the way, the passage does not say mother of God. Mary is not the mother of God. Okay? If Mary was the mother of God, she would be the mother of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mary is the young woman that God chose to have a miraculous conception where this young woman would bear a child and this child would be Jesus and God would become human through Mary's pregnancy. And she's not the mother of the Son of God, but she is the mother of that baby, Jesus. Because Jesus, the Son of God, existed long before he was born in Bethlehem. Verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting, this is Elizabeth, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. Now, one of the roles that this Elizabeth's child will play, remember, her child is named John. He will become John the Baptist, a fiery preacher, when he is an adult. 
a unique godly man. Jesus will say, no man is greater than John. Okay? But right now, they're both, they're not born yet. And Elizabeth says that the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, you know, the baby, okay, the baby kicked her, right? Well, Elizabeth says he leaped for joy. What, is, what was John's role? John was the pointer. John pointed people to Jesus. He's preparing the way. And Elizabeth reads it right there on the spot that the child in her has pointed her to, this, to Jesus. And, you know, we don't know what's going on here. But it's a God thing. That's what we do know. Elizabeth recognizes. Verse 45, blessed is she, blessed is Mary, who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth commends Mary. Mary is going to be a great hero of the faith. She is a tremendous example. She is a hero. Oh, that we would have a lot more people like Mary who trust God and believe God when he says he's going to do something and they just yield and they want to be a part of it. And Elizabeth commends her for her faith. And Elizabeth says, Blessed are you, Mary. And here's what I want to say. You too will be blessed when you trust God. When God instructs you, and you listen, and you follow through with what God wants, you too will be blessed. You will be favored. God will work through you. God will accomplish his will through you. I didn't say you would get everything you wanted. God will get what he wants through you. Verses 46 through 56, we look at a mom's response to God. And just... uh, Follow in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. So Mary is just overflowing now with praise. She just can't contain herself now. And she begins to speak. Her, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has sacrificed those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, who would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Finally, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then they returned home. So here we have a mom's response to God, and we see in verse 46 uh, through 49 her personal reflection and praise. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Mary is just overwhelmed with the goodness of God. 
She is about to explode. It says her soul glorifies God. Uh, another version says her soul magnifies the Lord. And some of you know that this is also called the Magnificat. And it's fr- it, the Magnificat is a word that comes from Latin. And, and in the Latin version, Magnificat is this very first word. And it refers to Mary's whole uh, line of praise here. Uh, sometimes called the song of praise. It's called uh, a canticle. And um, she is just overwhelmed. And uh, her worship just flows out of her. Her spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She rejoices in God. God has brought her much joy. You know, she could have been, now what am I going to do? I'm pregnant. I'm only a teenager. What am I going to do? You know, she could have been worried. She could have been, and she just rejoices in what God is doing. She calls God my Savior. She knows God. It's personal. She has a personal relationship with God. And she is responding in worship. She says, uh, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God picked Mary, a very unlikely uh, teenager. She She was just ordinary except for her faith. Um. God has picked her. She was not one of the rich or the famous. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, Mary says. You know, thousands and thousands of young Jewish women who knew the scriptures understood that one day there would be a woman who would bear the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, who would fulfill promise after promise in the Old Testament scriptures. One day there would be a woman who would be chosen to have this child, this baby, and Mary understands it is her. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Not all generations will worship her, but all generations will call her blessed. She's favored by God. She was chosen by God. She was a special servant of God who was available. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God is the mighty one. It's about his power. Uh, That's what brought about her miraculous conception. Remember, it was not an immaculate conception. It was a miraculous conception. It was a total miracle of God. The Immaculate Conception teaches that Mary never sinned her entire life. That she was a, had not sinned when she became pregnant and she never sinned again. And that the Immaculate Conception teaches that Mary had never had sexual relations all of her life. And that she was a virgin all of her life. That's not what the scriptures identify. Mary had sons and daughters that are mentioned in the Gospels. Um, verse 50 her recounting of God's mercy his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation 
This is connected to God's loyal love for his people. He has extended from generation to generation of the people of God. Uh, Starting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the family of Israel, who became the nation of Israel. Her recounting of God's power, verses 51 and 52. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. She acknowledges again God's power. The arm is a metaphor for strength. Um, He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. She's looking back and she's thinking, she knows the scripture so well. She knows the stories. She knows about Pharaoh, the great king of Egypt. And uh, he thought he was God. And uh, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers uh, from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He brought down people like Pharaoh, like Nebuchadnezzar. He brought down the evil kings of Israel and the evil kings of Judah. And you can just read the story. And God was at work in those occasions. Verses 53 through 55 the recounting of God's loyal love. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich. God has cared for the poor. You know why God cares for the poor? Not because they're poor. It's because he cares for people who love him and fear him and trust him. And oftentimes people who are struggling, people who don't have much, People who are poor just find it easy to trust God because they have nothing else to hang on to. The problem is with us who have income and things and stuff, and we don't think about God sometimes until we're in a crisis. Our faith sometimes is pretty wimpy. God cares about people who know they need him and want him. We can save ourselves a lot of problems if we just trust him. He has helped, verse 54, the servant, his servant Israel. Now he's talking about the nation of Israel. Remember, there are 12, 12 tribes of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, so the 12 tribes become the 12 tribes of Israel, and the nation, they are now the nation Israel. It refers to all 12 tribes. And at this time, they were living in a particular geographic location, the land of Israel. Verse 55, to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised his ancestors. Now Mary, this young gal, knows the scriptures. Mary... Mary understands the Abrahamic covenant. Do you? Some of the most important promises in all the Bible that tie tie the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. It starts in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Abraham. Not because Abraham was great or because at this point, Abraham had great faith. God came to Abraham And he said this, I will make you into a great nation. He's just one man without any kids. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. 
and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's what Mary understood. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham and his family, his descendants. And what Mary realizes is the baby she is carrying is a descendant of Abraham, and God plans to bless the whole earth through him. Now, she doesn't know the details. She doesn't know how it's going to happen. She just knows that this is the one. This is the promised one. And then 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. And let's see that again. So Mary, who is down somewhere near Jerusalem, now has to trek that 80 plus miles back to Nazareth. And of course, we know in a couple of weeks, she's going to have to come back, at least in six months. She, she hung out there three months, so she's three months pregnant, and now Elizabeth is near full term, nine months. And next week, we're going to see the birth of John. So let's talk about some lessons. Uh, Four lessons. The first one is this. Look for someone to mentor you. Look for someone to mentor, mentor you. And then look for someone to mentor. Think about this. Mary is a a young woman. She's a godly woman. She knows the scriptures. She has just become pregnant because God said. Who's going to believe that? How would you like to tell your parents? An angel told me that I was going to be pregnant. Sure, Mary. How would you like to tell Joseph? She's got to do that. Mary uh, has, has had a secret, and she needed to share that with somebody she trusted. A godly person, a safe person, an older and wise person. Gabriel has tipped her off about Elizabeth. Elizabeth's got something going here too. And she has a special baby coming as well. Both women have a special role. And God hooks them up here. And Mary just seems to intuitively know she needs to talk to Elizabeth. And she goes and she hangs out for three months. And this older, godly woman has a chance to invest in this younger, godly woman. Elizabeth has an opportunity to mentor Mary. We assume they connected in the future, but we don't, we don't know about that. But for those three months, Mary was getting some wise counseling. If we look in the New Testament, we see that Barnabas is the one, one that mentored Paul. Paul mentored Timothy and Titus. Peter mentored Mark, John Mark. Priscilla and Aquila mentored Apollos. Joel Andrus mentored me. Who has mentored you? Would you like someone to mentor you? Who could you mentor? And let's not worry about formal relationships. Let's, who could you help? When it comes to helping somebody, you just need to be a little further along than them. And you can help them. You don't have to be, you know, have answers for everything. You just need to encourage and help. Pray for each other. Look for someone to mentor you. 
Look for someone else that you can mentor or help. Secondly, learn to be a worshiper like Mary. You know, we are all to worship, but being a worshiper is something that we learn. We learn to worship. Worship comes from the old English word worth-ship. And the question is, it's about having value. It's about declaring value. So when it comes to God, how much is God worth? Or how much is he worth to you? And it's about proclaiming God's value to him. Uh, Mary's words overflow. They just explode out of her heart. And it is worship. And she's acknowledged the, the greatness of God. Her soul magnifies God. You can't really magnify bigger than God. But she's making God out to be big. She's giving God credit for what he does, what he has done, and what he will do. I've always liked the definition of worship. Worship is is an active response to God whereby we declare his worth. This is uh, from a book uh, that I appreciated years ago. But it's, it's simple. Worship is an active response to God. God has moved in your life. God has revealed himself through scripture to you. How do you respond back? Worship is the appropriate. It's an active response to God, whereby we declare his worth. We show him value. We give him credit. You know, we worship God in praise when we speak. We can worship God in praise when we sing, like we did this morning. Um, We can worship God when we give thanks. God loves to hear us say, thank you, God, for providing our paychecks, for providing our food, for taking care of our family, for helping us through this day. God loves to hear thank you. Thanks, giving thanks is always worship. We worship when we follow God's instructions. When we live by faith, That is worship. It's a lifestyle. Jesus said, the greatest commandment in the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Greatest commandment. Most important thing you can do. When you love God, that's worship. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Just follow through. God is honored when we do that. It's worship. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 uh, the scripture says this. G- these are Jesus' woman, Jesus' words to the woman at the well. And um, she's the one who had been married five times, and she's now living with a man that's not her husband. And so it's kind of a, a unique situation where Jesus is visiting with this woman, and he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come. Now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. God is seeking worshipers. He is today. It's so important to Him. He wants us to come to Him. He wants us to become genuine followers of Christ, genuine worshipers, true worshipers. And we do that when we worship in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So without the Holy Spirit, there is no worship, genuine worship. And to worship in truth, that is according to truth, according to what God has said in his word, not according to things that we like to make up. Uh, True worship is a response to truth. True worship happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. True worship is for God and not for Mary. Mary was a true worshiper. She she is not to be the object of worship. She is a great example of a true worshiper. Third lesson, grow in your knowledge of the Bible. Both Mary and Elizabeth were very knowledgeable of the scriptures. Both were able to process what God was doing and they could do it quickly. Both responded to God in obedience. Grow in your knowledge. Don't stay static. You'll be stuck where you are on the same knowledge 20 years from now, 50 years from now, if you don't invest in learning the scriptures. In John chapter 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching... The New American Standard says, if you continue in my word, all of the Bible is God's word. Jesus is God. If you continue, there's a promise. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, As you learn, as you study, as you apply scripture, God will transform your life from a selfishness to a joy. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. Look at Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing your soul. God's word can refresh your soul. Do you need to be refreshed in your inner being? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Do you need wisdom? Would you like to be wiser than you are? Study the scriptures. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord. All of these are referring to God's word. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Do you need joy? You know, they come, joy comes from the word of God. And it's an outflow of the work of the Holy Spirit. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes firm, and all of them righteous, giving light to the eyes. Do you need greater spiritual perception? It comes from the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. It's alive. It's it's a spiritually active. Um, it's, It's not just dead, dry, dusty information. Last lesson, be humble. Be humble. Both Mary and Elizabeth responded as humble servants. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. I won't focus on that. I'll focus on the next part. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward each other. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up 
in due time. God gave grace to Mary. God enabled Mary to do what he had asked and because she was humble. God wants us to be humble people and um, he's going to take care of us. He's going to um, he's opposed to the proud. He's, he's composed, he is opposed to attitude. Jesus was humble. And God gives grace. He gives his favor to the humble. I like to have God on my side. You know, when I get a little entitled, feeling like I deserve a little respect or deserve something, you know, I'm swimming upstream. I'm working against God. And that's just kind of a waste of time. I'd rather have God pushing me downstream. So those are four lessons. Today we're going to come before God humbly. Get a chance to practice humility. We're going to come before God humbly to share in time of communion. It's a time that we meet with God humbly. It's a time uh, of worship. It's a time to give thanks. It's about God sending his son, Jesus, for you and for me. He came to live for us. He came to die for us. And in his death, he paid for the sin penalty of the entire world. Communion is a time when we say, thank you, God. I'm reminded of who you are, God. I'm reminded of who I am. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all are in that boat. And this is a time I'm reminded and I'm, I can just be grateful for what God has done for me when he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a time we, we say thank you because we're going we're gonna to take the bread in just a minute. And the bread is a symbol and it represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we hold that, we are to be reminded of what God has done for us. And we are to say thank you, God. We take the cup, it's a symbol, and it reminds us of the blood that was shed for our sin, that paid the penalty for our sin. He died in our place. He was our substitute. And we get to say, thank you, God. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Scripture tells us that we should examine ourselves before we take this opportunity to take the bread and to take the cup. That we should make sure that we're okay with God that we should examine ourselves and allow God to point out anything that he would like to show us. If we have sin to deal with, we should confess our sin to him. And we can do that quietly and privately. And you can just talk to God from where you're sitting and make sure that you're okay with God. And here's a promise we have. This is for those who place their faith in Christ. Scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. That's a great promise. That I can get a clean slate as a follower of Christ. This is why God has put communion in the church for 2,000 years. We are to come together. We are to be reminded and keep Jesus central. And then to make sure that the slate gets cleaned. And we know for sure that our sins are forgiven. So I, um, I'd like to take time right now. Let's just bow our hearts before God. And just use this time to talk to God. And those who are going to serve, would you please come and join me at the front? 
and get ready uh, for serving our communion. And for all of us, let's just reflect. You can talk to God and just ask Him, is there anything in your life that He wants you to deal with, to confess a sin, and to ask for His forgiveness? Just talk to Him privately and silently from your own heart. And God, I just want to give you praise this morning that if we confess our sins today, that you forgive us our sins and that you purify us of all unrighteousness. And God, for those uh, this morning who have made that confession, who've asked you to forgive them, may they know that your word is true and you promise to forgive and purify them and they are forgiven because of you. Your promise is true. And then, God, we just pause and we say thank you for the bread. Thank you for Jesus. We recognize the bread reminds us of his body that was nailed to the cross, that he gave himself for us. He he gave himself in our place because we deserve that sin. And we know it's because of grace we are saved. And we take the cup this morning and we are reminded of the blood that was shed and that his blood was a payment for our sin. That his blood paid a ransom for us and because of that we can be redeemed and we thank you for that. May we be humbled before you for what you've done for us, for the gift you've given. Thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation. And we thank you now for the bread and the cup. In Jesus' name, amen.